Today we're finishing this chapter. We're finishing Matthew chapter 5. And we're wrapping up a section in which Jesus has been dealing with a critical area in our lives. Our relationships. How we relate to one another. It's probably one of the most important areas of our lives. Because all of our lives, really, everything centers around and, and revolves around our relationships with one another. And in this teaching on our relationships, Jesus has been correcting the false teaching of his day. He's been correcting the, the distortions that the scribes and the Pharisees had taught about God's law. They had taken God's law and twisted it and perverted it and developed traditions that were not in accordance with what God's law had taught. And so Jesus has been bringing correction to that. And we've seen how Jesus addressed the issues of anger, the issues of lust. He taught on marriage and divorce. He taught us about keeping our word. And last week, Pastor Mark taught on seeking revenge and retaliation. And in each of these, what Jesus has been showing us is the way to live our lives as citizens of the kingdom of God. We have been called out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, we don't earn our salvation. We know that. We, we are saved by grace through faith. It's none of our works. We contribute nothing, as I say all the time, quoting Jonathan Edwards. We contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's what we bring to the table. So when we start talking about how we live... We're not talking about earning our salvation. We're not talking about earning our righteousness. We're not talking about earning our right standing before God. We are only right before God. We only have peace with God through the work of Jesus Christ. That's it. But now that I am saved, now that I have been delivered and set free and born again and filled with the Spirit... How then should I live? And that's what Jesus has been addressing here. What, what his people, the people who are part of his kingdom, what it looks like to live in our relationships and to live out his word as we relate to one, another's, one another. And these are the words to live by. It, it, there, there's so many different people today who want to teach us how we ought to live, how we should relate to one another, so many different voices, so many different influencers. Jesus' words are the words to live by. In fact, Jesus finishes this sermon by saying, a wise man will take these words and live by them. And when you do that, Jesus says, it's like building your house on a rock. Building your house, building your life on a sure foundation. And so as we conclude this section in, in how we relate to one another, I think we're going to deal with what I think is one of the most difficult commandments in all of Scripture. And the truth is that all of the things that Jesus has been teaching us to do and how to live, in our own strength, it's impossible. We cannot live this way in our own strength. If we try to do it in the, the arm of the flesh, in, in our own ability and in our own power, we will fail every time.
But God has not left us alone, but he has given us his spirit. And so as we endeavor to obey Christ in the power of his spirit, it is possible to put Christ's words into practice in our lives. This morning, what he's going to teach us on, again, I said it is one of the most difficult commandments. It is this, loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. So let's go to the text this morning, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors Do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that this morning you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us. Give us eyes to see what it is you need us to see today. Lord, we confess today that you are Lord, that you have risen from the dead as we sang earlier. Lord, we confess and believe that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will share in that confession. Uh, Lord, until that time, you have called us to live out the Lordship, your Lordship in our lives in in a public way, in a tangible way, And in doing so that our light would shine and that your light would shine through us and that we would be salt and light in this world, Lord, having an impact in this world and the culture that we are living in. Lord, as we look at this final commission, this final commandment and how we relate to one another, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to love everyone and especially those who would be our enemies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I see four imperatives in uh, this passage this morning, and I'm going to organize my thoughts on these four directions. The first, he says, is that we are to love our enemies. The second is that we are to pray for those who persecute us. The third is that we are to act like or behave like children of God. And the fourth is simply to be perfect. I'm going to spend the majority of the time looking at the first one as we have to get this right or the ones that follow won't make sense. And then we'll wrap it up by spending a little bit more time on that fourth one of being perfect. But first he says, he addresses the issue that there's a teaching in his day that says you can love your neighbor, you can love your friends, but your enemies, you can hate them. You can wish ill on them. You can seek their harm. That's okay. And that's what they were teaching in Jesus' day. They were perverting the law of God, which taught to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says that, no, this is not 
in congruence with God's law, that this is actually a perversion of God's law. And so Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. Not just tolerate them, especially not hate them, not just put up with them, not ignore them, but to love them. That is a high ask. Amen? These are the words of Christ. Now, there's three different ways that I think Christians have approached this historically. And uh, there's really one way, I think, to uh, approach it and to uh, live it out. But I want to address the, the first two that I think are erroneous. And the first way that people have approached this is they just say, this is impossible. It's impossible. How can I love those who hate me? How can I love those who are seeking my harm? How can I love those who are persecuting me? How is that possible? That's not possible. That's impossible. I just give up. That's the first way that I think people approach this. I wouldn't recommend doing that way. Okay, let's not go down that route. The second way, and this is where I think most people uh, and how they try to apply this and how they try to obey this commandment is to do so with what I believe is a wrong understanding of what love means. That they have an understanding of love that is wrong, is, is incorrect, is not accurate. And this is where most Christians, they try to obey this commandment by applying this word love in a way that it is not meant to be applied and they become frustrated and even depressed in trying to do so because if you try to apply the wrong word here uh, towards your enemy, it's not going to work at all. And so that's the second way. And the third way is to have the proper understanding of what Jesus is saying and then to live that out in the power of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to endeavor to do this morning. And so what is that misunderstanding of the word love that many Christians have about this commandment? And again, it centers on this word love. Now this word love, we have obliterated all meaning with this word love. We, we use it for anything, we use it for everything, and in doing so we have stripped it of all meaning. We don't know what love means. And when I say we, I'm talking about how we use this word in our everyday speech. For example, I will say something like, I love Mexican food, especially enchiladas. You know, I will say that. I, I will say that often. I thank the Lord for San Antonio, the greatest city in the world with the best food in the world. Uh, there's no place like San Antonio. But when I say I love Mexican food... I'm saying that I have a, a particular feeling, a desire towards Mexican food. Now, I'm talking about the feeling I have before I eat it, not the feeling I have after I eat it. That's a different feeling. We won't talk about that this morning. But we use this word love to describe a strong affection for, an affinity for, a desire for, and a, an emotional attachment to and is that what Jesus is saying? That loving my enemies means I need to stir up some emotions towards them, some, some warm, fuzzy feelings towards those who are persecuting me? 
towards those who hate me, towards those who have done evil against me, that, that I need to somehow get the goosebumps about them? Is that what Jesus is saying? I think that that's what a lot of people believe Jesus is saying here. And so they hear that love my enemies and they, they try to, to do that and it, it just it doesn't work. How do you have, a, have, have strong emotions towards someone, uh, a favorable strong emotions, that is seeking to harm you? And herein lies the problem. The Greek language had four words for love. All of them are translated as simply the word love in our English Bibles. They had, they had the word phileo or phileia, which meant brotherly love. It's where the, the, the name for the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, comes from. They had eros love, which was romantic or erotic love. They had storge love, which was a familial love, the love that would be shared, the strong bond between uh, family love, a mother and her child, a father and his child. And then finally, the highest word for love, agape love, which is a self-sacrificing love. Which word do you think Jesus uses here when we, he tells us that we need to love our enemies? Agape love. You see, a lot of people have the idea of like storge love, that, that close love that you would have in a relationship with someone in your family. Or that philea love, that brotherly love. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about agape love. Jesus tells us we must agape our enemies which is quite a bit different from our overly romanticized views of the word love that we have today. The way we use this word, again, is not the way that Jesus uses the word agape. Maybe we would be better served by using that word to differentiate what we're talking about. I want to show you some examples uh, from the scripture, how it uses this word so that we could get a better understanding of it. If you want to, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to come back to Matthew 5, but turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Starting in verse 7, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another. And every, every time the Bible is using the word love here, it's using this word agape. Let us agape, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You see, to even love in this way, it requires that you have been born again. So what Jesus is talking about here, that we are to show towards our enemies, is not something that comes from natural affection. See, natural affection is good. It's a blessing. It's part of the created order. And I thank God for it. 
But what Jesus is talking about here is something that transcends natural affection. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. It, it's only a part of our lives as we live through the power of the Spirit of God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So the agape of God, God shows his agape in this way, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we ought also to love one another. This is what the love of God is. It is a, a commitment. It is a sacrificial love. It is a love that transcends warm fuzzies. There's a love that transcends the goosebumps. I love warm fuzzies. I, I love goosebumps. But that will only get you so far. When times are tough, when, when things are difficult, and Jesus here again speaking about people who wish to do us harm. We will not have the warm fuzzies towards people who are seeking our harm. Nevertheless, we are called to show them, more than called, commanded to show them a, a self-sacrificing commitment. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This kind of love, it, it, it is a self-sacrificing love. So what, is it, what does this look like? How does this play out practically? When, when it's easy to talk about it conceptually, but when the rubber meets the road, what does this look like? How do we show agape love, especially to our enemies. Well, Paul in Romans 13, I think he gives us a, a very clear explanation of this. A very clear, practical, something we can grab a hold of as we endeavor to obey Christ and to love our enemies. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8 He says, owe no one anything except to love, again, agape, each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and here he gives a summary of uh, the second table of the Ten Commandments that, that deal with our interpersonal relationships. For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What does it mean to show love to my neighbor? What does it mean to agape my enemy? It means that I fulfill the commandments of God's law towards them. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And to take the the inverse, because if we are commanded not to murder, we're also commanded then therefore to seek the good of their life, to to seek for blessing. So there's the the inverse, there's the positive of, of the commandments. And so if they are seeking my harm, I return by blessing them. That's what it means to love my neighbor. That's what it means to love my enemy. To start with the second table of the Ten Commandments, that's what the Apostle Paul does. To love someone is to self-sacrificially obey the law of God with regards to them, seeking after their good and their well-being. Recognizing them, my enemy, as a fellow image-bearer of God. Created by God with an eternal soul. That I must be more concerned over their eternal state than my temporary outcome in this situation. To pray for them as Jesus will instruct us to do. To intercede for them. To seek their good. To bless them when we are cursed. To treat them with respect, not slandering them or impugning their character. This, of course, goes with what Jesus taught. What what is the greatest commandment? Remember he was asked that? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's the greatest commandment, Jesus says. But the second one, he says, is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But then here, here the commentary Jesus gives. On these two commandments hang, rest, all the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament law, it all sprung out of these two commandments, loving God and loving neighbor. And so how do I love my neighbor? I obey God's word towards them. I obey God's law towards them. I see what God's law says. I see how it instructs me. And when I do that towards those who hate me, I am loving them. It's not about stirring up warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm glad about that. John Stott put it this way. True love is not sentiment so much as service. Practical, humble, sacrificial service. Our enemies are seeking our harm. We must seek their good. For this is how God has treated us. We must seek the good of those who would seek our demise. 
What Jesus is saying is that we don't have the luxury of setting aside obeying God's law just because someone has made themselves our enemy. He goes on to say the second imperative back in Matthew chapter 5, and this is another way of loving them, is that we pray for those who persecute us. This is another way that we can show love to our enemies. Again, this is not a suggestion. Right? Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, but let me give you some other ideas. Take it or leave it. Jesus says that we must pray for our enemies. Who are your enemies? If I ask you that question, who is your enemy? Do you have somebody who pops into your mind? Hopefully they're not sitting right next to you this morning or on the other side of the church this morning. That face that pops into your mind, pray for them. Pray for them. If you are not praying for your enemies, you are disobeying Jesus. You are disobeying Christ. You are not living as a citizen of his kingdom. And what do we pray for when we pray for them? God, bring judgment on these wicked souls. You know, the imprecatory psalms. God, break the teeth of the wicked. You could do that. I mean, it's biblical. But it's also biblical to pray that God would save their soul. That God would grant them repentance that leads to eternal life. That God would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. That God would set them free from from whatever hurt or pain in the past that they may be carrying, whatever burden of sin and shame that they are carrying and fighting that is causing them to act out in a way that they are acting towards you. To pray for God to bless them. Pray for your enemies. Pray that God would save them. About this text, Bonhoeffer said this, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. This is what Christ has called us to do. Again, this sets the believer apart from the rest of the culture, from the way the rest of the world lives. The way our world lives is if, if you do this to me, I'm, I'm going to hit you back and I'm going to hit you back harder. That's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of Christ. And Pastor Mark talked about that last week. No, when we are persecuted, when, when people seek our harm, we love them, we pray for them, we bless them, we seek their good. And hear this, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not shown us how to do. Jesus always is our great example. On the cross, what did Jesus say? Father, send these wicked souls to hell. Zap them, and this one too, and just do away with all of them. No, what did Jesus pray? As they drove the nails into his hands. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. 
the tortures of crucifixion could not silence his prayer for his enemies. Now, I don't know what your enemies have done to you, but I would submit to you it's not on the level of what we as humanity did to Christ. But Christ interceded for us on the cross. And we are now called to do the same for our enemies. And he has given us his spirit. He is alive on the inside of every one of us who call him Lord. And with that spirit, he gives us his power to be able to do it. To pray for our enemies. And this leads us on to the next point. That when we do this, when we love our enemies, when we pray for them and when we bless them, we are acting like children of God. Jesus says that we should do this so that we may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see, this is what God does. This is how God lives. This is the model Jesus set for us. And if we are children of God, then we have the same nature, the same character of our Father. And what Jesus is calling us to is to not live out of our sin nature, to not live like carnal beings, just fleshly beings, but to live in the power of His Spirit, to live with His love manifesting. This is how God lives. This is what God does. Jesus says God doesn't just send rain on the righteous. He sends rain everywhere. He he blesses everyone. I know it's hard for us to believe that it rains here in Texas, but... (laughs) God's general grace, His common grace, the sun that shines, the the rain that that makes the plants grow, the, the earth that yields its fruit, that that we all may, may eat and, and live lives and the air that we breathe and, and all the million ways that God blesses humanity every day he pours it out on the righteous and the unrighteous. And when we show love not just to our friends, as Jesus says, even tax collectors do that. Even the IRS agents do that. If, you're, if you work for the IRS this morning, repent. Christ loves you. Jesus loves you. There's salvation for you this morning. The tax collectors were despised in Jesus' day because they had aligned themselves with Rome, this tyrannical state. They they were the most despised. And Jesus says, even tax collectors love their friends. That's nothing. You are called to be like God and to love your enemies. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5.1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As God has loved us, as his children, we seek to imitate our Father who's in heaven. My little girls, when they were, Faith when she was little and Charity now, as she's six, they love to go into their mother's closet and put on their mom's shoes and dress and other things I won't mention and walk around the house and pretend that they're Heather. Nobody had to teach them to do that. They want to do that because they are loved children. They are loved. 
and they want to be like their parents because their parents have loved them. And Paul in Ephesians 5 says, as beloved children, as children who have been loved by God, imitate God, be like him. I didn't have to teach my children, you know, go in there and, and put this on and act like your mother. No, it's the natural overflow. It's the supernatural overflow of being loved by God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. So we are to love our enemies, we are to pray for our enemies. When we do those things, we are acting like children of God. We are behaving in the nature and the character of God the Father. And number four, this final instruction. Verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this word perfect does not mean moral perfection or sinlessness. As only God is morally perfect and sinless, Christ is not calling us and saying you must live perfect lives from here on out and be sinless. Well, how do I know that? Well, his sermon presupposes that we as his people will even continue to battle with sin. If you remember in the Beatitudes, one of them was that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, the idea in that is that we have not arrived yet. That we're not perfect yet. That we're not in a state of sinlessness. And so that we must hunger and thirst after righteousness in our lives, living according to God's word. And then later on in chapter 6, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he'll teach us to forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So Jesus is not issuing a commandment here to be sinless, as that is impossible this side of heaven. There are those who have taken this verse out of its context and try to, to say that that's what it means, but it can't mean that because Jesus has taught us what to do when we do sin. But I'm not saying we should take a casual attitude towards sin. No, we should seek to put it to death in our lives. Amen? I'm only saying that what this word means here, what Jesus is saying by this word perfect, is not calling us to sinless perfection. So what is he calling us to? This word perfect, it means complete. It means fully grown it means mature. Paul uses it this way. James uses it this way. That God's people would, would grow up in their love towards one another. That we would stop with the fighting and the bickering and the gossiping and the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth and you did this to me and therefore I'm going to do this to you. Jesus says, stop it. Grow up. Stop acting like little babies and act like beloved children of God. So applying this word of being, of being perfect, of being full, of being mature, of being complete in this context of this passage, he's calling us to grow up in our agape love, our self-sacrificial love for one another and extending that even to those who would be our enemies. To be mature 
to learn to overlook and to forgive offenses. To not be self-centered in our relationships, but to be self-sacrificing. To give people the benefit of the doubt. To not believe the worst about people, but to believe the best about their intentions. So in conclusion today, who is your enemy? Love them. Pray for them. Show them the same love that God in Christ has shown you. Forgive them. Bless them. Pray for their salvation. Come alongside them and seek to do them good. And we can do this only because Christ has first loved us. We can do this only because Jesus came, lived, and died, shedding his blood to turn his enemies into his family. We can do this only because we have his spirit working in our lives. To try this in our own strength is a fool's errand. But to do it in the power of the Spirit of God, to do it in the power of the one that walked out of that grave, that is a world-changing kind of love. we got to stop being so contentious with the world and start showing them the love of Christ. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, this is a tall order. But you have shown us how to do it perfectly. You can only ask us to live it because you first lived it towards us. Lord, that we would be so in love with you and so enamored and so awestruck by your love for us that we would seek to show that same love to everyone we come in contact with and even those who would call themselves our enemies. Lord, help us to pray for them. Lord, as we think of them, as, even as they may be seeking our harm, Lord, that you would remind us of the prayer you prayed for us on the cross. It's only by your grace and your love that you have shown us that we can show love to others. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.